Welcome back to One Book That Changed My Life, where entrepreneurs and experts share one book and the life-changing principles they apply. If you love that flash, that spark of inspiration when a great idea just leaps off the page at you, but you don't have time for all the amazing books you run across, then this podcast is designed for you. In each episode, you'll discover business books, past and present, that are changing the lives of people just like you and come away with insights you can put into action right now. So let's jump into the latest book. Hello, and welcome back to one book that changed my life. I'm super excited for the conversation. We're talking about the power of now, which I've never covered before. It's an Eckhart Tolle book, and our guest is Dan Mangana. Uh, And if you're not familiar, you absolutely should be. So Dan is a super interesting guy. He's one of, been named one of the top life coaches to watch for 2021. He's been dubbed a master of success by Wall Street Journal. He's a um, life coach, podcaster, author, former consultant. I mean, just a kind of a, uh, let's say a jack of all trades at a very high level. You've done quite a few things over the years, but what you really enjoy doing now is coaching people on abundance, right? And, uh, and breaking through limiting mindset issues and a lot of the mental, you know, as, uh, as one of my mentors calls it head trash, uh, that, mm-hmm. that we get caught up in. And, uh, we both have a really, um, I guess, similar background in the sense of coming from probably hardcore, like religious, you know, (laughs) you've, you've made the joke about money being the root of all evil, which is a, uh, (laughs) you know, if you, if you don't know, it's a misquotation by the way, and (laughs) nobody in the old Testament was bothered by the size of your flocks. That was actually a sign of success, but for some reason, and the new Testament comes along and we're like, great, let's all take a vow of poverty. Um, so it's a very, it's a very odd thing, but yeah, we both grew up with that kind of, uh, I guess, voluntary poverty, mindset is probably the best way I could put it. So yeah, you've had to break through a lot of the same mindset stuff that I've had to deal with. And I don't think I'm, I'm there yet. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So Dan, let's do this. Uh, first of all, when you run into somebody that's kind of in your space or you feel like might need your help, how do you explain what you do? First and foremost, thank you for having me on the show. Really happy to be here and to share this and hello to the audience. And just to touch on something you said, None of us really ever get there completely. And if Mm -hmm. we do get there completely, it means that we've stopped growing. And the point that we stop growing is when we start dying. So we should always be at a point of some level of discomfort and growth. There should always be something ahead of us. Mm -hmm. But what happens is we actually deepen our resourcefulness to handle it. So I just wanted to make sure everyone had that, because I think that's that's something that we get lost in. But Mm -hmm. what I'd say is this, is that I take the idea that abundance is something weird or mystical or far away. And throw that in the trash. Because when you look at nature, Matt, we don't see lack. Mm. The only time that lack starts to show up in nature is when humans get involved. And even after humans have got involved, the divine mind still finds a way to bring nature back to a state of equilibrium and abundance, even in the face of our interference. It's the natural way of being. And so what I'm really doing is reactivating the memory of our true nature and bringing Mm. people to that through an alignment of how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing, and what we're even moving to in the first place. Hmm. Okay. Um, how do you like to work with people? Just curious, um, you know, in terms of uh, one-on-one versus group, where do you feel like people get the best results and what do you enjoy doing the most? So a lot of the longer term coaching my coaches do now, we've been blessed to build up a, a successful business. It's got an amazing team of coaches. Leah's my head coach. What up, Leah? Um, I tend to do like the intense stuff. So people come down to Carbo and spend a week with me or spend the day and we, okay. we break, break it up or they'll come to an event. We just had our Alchemy of Abundance event just this past weekend. We've got another one in October, another one in January. I love to do that. I love doing the workshops, the one to many is where I'm in my groove. Mm-hmm. But as a team, we support people with one-on-one, with groups, 
using primarily our signature program, Micro to Millions, to unlock the stories that are tying us to this illusion of lack and opening us up to our natural state of abundance. Very cool. Uh, and then one more selfish question before we get into your, your story in the book. Um, <laughs> Because you mentioned just because you mentioned like bringing people in, like they're spending a lot of time with you. That's very that's very energy intensive. Um, introvert or extrovert? I would say that I'm an introvert with extroverted tendencies when the time calls for it. Yeah, yeah. I call myself an extroverted introvert, so that 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 <laughs> resonates. Um, yeah, I don't know that I want somebody in my personal space for a week at a time. Uh, <laughs> so that's you may be a bit more extroverted than I am. It's uh, uh, yeah. part of why I love podcasting is I get to have amazing conversations. We can get to jump into like the deep end of the conversation right off the bat. And then as soon as we're done, I get to go do my own thing. And I never, <laughs> left, <laughs> never left my place by the beach. You don't, so you don't, you don't need to kick me out of bed. You can, uh, yes. you can carry on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so set the scene for us a little bit. Let's, let's take us back to where we were at in your business and your life before you encountered the book. What did that look like? Uh, I was looking to end my life. Number wow. one. Um, so put this into context, I reflect, when I'm reflecting back on where I am now, where I've been, there's been three clear sections. You can either call it a three-part movie or, you know, three movies in a, a film series or a trilogy, whatever the thing is. But part one was I made a lot to multi-million pound fortunes by the age of 23. So mm-hmm. I was a precarious youth. I was reading Think and Grow Rich when I was 16 years old, studying books mm-hmm. like Psycho-Cybernetics in my teens. And, <sighs> studying Plato like right and Aristotle here. and mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Max is a bad boy. Um, getting tapes from Nightingale Conant and listening to those. And that's what I was doing as a teenager. So wow. it's no mean feat to kind of make the connection that having opened my first real company at 16, that I was a millionaire by the age of 19, but it didn't stay. And that's another story. Then I went and built up again in a different field and then everything got stolen and everything that I had built had become such a deep part of my identity that I became consumed with this idea that people were going to be thinking of me a certain way and that I didn't have any value because I didn't have this identity that I'd built around being the successful business person who thought they knew everything, that I was like, there's nothing more for me and I might as well check out. And Matt, the only reason why I didn't make a suicide attempt, and this is my gallows humor here, is... I felt like such a loser at the time, but I thought I was going to cock up my suicide and I didn't want to be the loser who couldn't even end his own life properly on top of everything else. And that moves us into part two of my life, which was my obsession with working out what made me a loser so that I could de-loser myself and successfully commit suicide. Oh, so that, was, that, that was the that, goal? That, that it was, was to goal. de-loserify yourself so that you could follow through on the suicide? That was it. Wow. But the crazy thing is, is that a big part of what I now know and understand to be true and what has allowed me to support so many people is that it doesn't matter what you say you want what matters is what's going on inside of you and what's going on inside of you mm. is heavily heavily weighted to what's going on around you so you got to remember at the time i was spending not, all my time listening to tapes rereading books i taught myself to transliterate hebrew and arabic so i can go back into ancient texts and understand what i'd gotten wrong That's all I was doing. I wasn't having conversations about girls or football or whatever. This was it. So when this book came into my life, I was mid flow with that. Trying to understand where I'd been, where I'd gone wrong, because it it started off okay. I'd made the money, but it hadn't stayed. Right. So something was connecting, but something wasn't. What were those missing pieces? Who was a liar? Who was a charlatan? Where was I wrong? That was what I was obsessed with. And that's when the power of now came into my life. 
Mm. Do you remember how was it a recommendation or you stumble across in the bookstore? I was reading, I used to get, uh, um, I think it was the Sunday times and they had an editorial section where they spoke about books and, uh, okay. I saw about that. I was like, Oh, I was reading so many books at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so many books. And so it was like another book. Yes. I still got yeah. the notepad actually with all the, whenever I was reading anything or going through the bibliography, I was scribbling the books and I, I made my way through all of those books and continue to do so today. Love it. Um, all right. So looking back on it now, what do you think was the biggest idea that came from that book? The biggest idea that came from that book was this fact that ultimately what's going on inside of us doesn't have to be what shows up outside of us if there's a disconnect and that disconnect can actually be created deliberately okay when we want to create something different we actually have to create that disconnect otherwise it's going to keep showing up our emotional state is going to keep becoming our outcomes our thoughts are going to keep coming things so when it's something that we want then cool we support that but when it's something that we don't want we can disrupt that simply by asking the simple question what am i thinking now and how do i feel about it that's mm -hmm. it you have to fight it you have to challenge the thought you have to challenge the emotion mm -hmm. just by questioning it you separate from it and it no longer has power over you yeah okay so that makes total sense because i came to that idea from a completely different source mm -hmm. you're like mm -hmm. you know psychological stuff like act mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. acceptance and commitment therapy but that's mm -hmm. about yeah that's 100 spot on right so that makes total sense so you interrupt the thought you don't have to question it just the awareness i think stephen hayes says just the awareness creates enough distance to where you get psychological flexibility and an, an automatic disruption gets created yeah. now what happens is because most of us aren't present we're not now enough we're so caught up in what's going on our programs our fear our stories our narratives the football who the president is covid we don't have the presence to actually take advantage of that disruption that's been created and mm -hmm. so it clicks back into the program and we continue right but it's slowing down enough to think and feel with sufficient awareness to be aware and therefore leverage that space that's been created to move towards a new outcome. All right. So that makes sense. So you get this idea. Now, the interesting thing that I've noticed about trying to, not trying, just working on implementing this and playing around with that, that, that skill set is that it is just that. It's a skill set, right? It, it, mm -hmm. the, the ability to start to habitually do that is not something that doesn't come naturally, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my question on that is, what, what did you start to do maybe how a little bit about how long it took just you know can it give me an idea of the process of how you start to really put that into action to where you start to see mm -hmm. tangible results so i accidentally again my obsession came from a moment um in my moment of decision and this wasn't like a heightened emotional thing i wasn't like in fact my ted talk that they didn't allow us to publish actually speaks about this moment okay. yeah my, my ted talk was called what suicide taught me about life and they're like nope we're not posting this. The real um, Ted, you mean Ted itself would not allow, would yeah, not allow them to yeah, publish it? Um, yeah, yeah, it didn't get published. Wow. Okay. Published. They said it breaks the rules. So anyway, that's another conversation. Okay. I'm just going to rip the audio and put it on my podcast anyway. Yeah. So it's still getting out there. Um, but, you know, this wasn't like a heightened emotional thing. I was very chill. I was very calm. It just felt like the natural order, of course. And looking back, I understand what happened in that moment. But I actually came to an understanding that the only person that can successfully pull off my suicide is me. That's it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can be responsible for it. Nobody else can do it. Like it comes down to me and reflecting back on it, I realized, well, that's the same with everything in, in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that evolved into what I now call common denominator theory. Okay. If you've got 20 different relationships 
20 different business relationships, love relationships, friendships. If you want to create a change that has the biggest impact, that uses the least energy, is the most efficient, is it you going and trying to change 20 other people or is it changing you? Yeah. If you change you, the nature of every single one of those relationships must change to some degree because we are the only common denominator in everything. Mm-hmm. We're the through thread in our entire life. And so there's a level of agency that arises from that, but also a level of responsibility and mm-hmm. a, a lack of space for blame, guilt, and shame to affect a positive outcome. Right. And so before I could actually apply any of this, I realized I need to be within myself in a place of empowerment and agency that says that I can. Otherwise, all of the energy that could be creating that change is lost in the guilt, the shame, the blame, this person, that person. So mm-hmm. calling that energy back was the first step. And when that did happen, then I could actually do something with this powerful information. Mm, interesting. Okay. So you start to do that. Mm-hmm. You start to see some, um, start to see the internal results first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the outward results that started to show up as a result of that? Well, I didn't actually realize, um, when I say I was obsessed, I was obsessed. I didn't really yeah. come up for air. I came up for a little bit of air a few years later when I got my Asperger's diagnosis. And I said, oh, oh, okay, I slowed down a little bit. But it was, it was 2015 was when I slowed down enough to realize, hang on a minute. A, I've built an amazing life. Mm. B, I don't have that dark dog all the time anymore. And when it does, it doesn't last very long. It might be there for the mm-hmm. morning or for an hour but I kind of move through it. I don't shake it off. I don't resist it. I move through it. I resource. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, hang on a minute, all of this time that was spent rebuilding myself changed the internal environment. And that internal environment didn't fit that dark cloud. It didn't fit that lack of worthiness. It didn't fit that mm-hmm. story that I wasn't worth being alive. Instead, it was life that I'd been choosing. And that's when I actually consciously moved into that. But my health, I was taking care of my body. I was working out, I was doing jujitsu. I could take my top off and look good, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was traveling just for fun. I built a business that was doing really, really well. The relationships with my family were amazing. My mm-hmm. friendships, amazing. Everything was amazing in my life. And I hadn't set out to do that at all. It just naturally unfolded from what was going on inside of me. So I don't know when the moment mm-hmm. really came. I don't know when the actual moment was that there was a switch from suicide to choosing life. Mm-hmm. All I know is that 2015, April, I believe, when I just got back from my trip to Thailand with my cousin, that I realized, oh my God, this is my life and I love it. I want to keep doing more of this. And that's when I consciously chose to keep doing so. Hey, it's Matt. And if you want to turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, that is the question I am obsessed with. And you can get all of my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, etc. It all goes into the Microfamous Field Report, which is available only on Substack. So go to microfamous.substack.com, enter your email address to get access for free. And now let's get back to the conversation. Wow. So up until then, you had not made a conscious decision yet to turn away from the plan to end your own life. Nope. Nope. I just, it just kind of just, and my friend Caplice, he says, I accidentally overanalyzed myself out of suicide. Yeah, totally. That's the way they <laughs> well, it. well, you discovered, yeah. I mean, in, in determining that you were not going to fail, yeah, at suicide. You accidentally stumbled upon your own success code, basically, and that was it. Yeah, that was that's it. incredible. And, and it's kind of the thing that allows me to always say, whenever somebody comes and they're in a really crappy place or things are really, really in a mess, I, I, I don't think you can come back. You can go any lower than the point of having that commitment without making the the act or the commitment, mm-hmm. and building back to without even trying. 
I know that it's possible. You can't tell me that it's not, it's impossible mm-hmm. to move through whatever challenges you're going through and to, to build a life for yourself. You just need to have an internal environment that aligns with it. And even that isn't something that you need to hustle for because it's our natural state. Abundance is our natural state. Health and vitality is our natural state. Love mm-hmm. and connection are our natural states. Mm-hmm. But in our humanness, we, we, we create a disconnect with that. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, we could, we could talk for a long time on the religious stuff, but mm-hmm. one of the things that broke my brain about psychocybernetics mm-hmm. is when he says in the very first chapter that, look, if you, if you believe in God and you believe God is benevolent, then you have to believe the human beings are literally engineered for success. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I submit. I, yeah, I got it. Okay. So God gave us a subconscious mind that's literally wired to to get us to where we want to go. Okay. I'm like, I I think, and I like, I kind of did what Maltz talks about in the book. You remember he talks about like reading this chapter every day for 21 days. I read it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I did it for longer than that. If I remember right, I I still come back and remind myself to read that first chapter. Um, Yeah. Because uh, you know, I don't know, I I don't know exactly what your religious upbringing was like, Mm -hmm. but for us, there was a, um, a disconnect between the effort that you put in and the external results that you see, the belief that those two things were linked, that you could have control, that you could put in the work and that it would, it would have to lead to success on some level. That's the part that was broken by the religious part, which was, mm-hmm. you know, religious people do all the right things mm-hmm. and then still bad things happen to them. Mm-hmm. Like still like you're, it's kind of like I said, the voluntary vow of poverty, like you can do like the, the more the more prosperous you are, the more suspect you are. The odds are you, you, there was ungotten, ungotten gains. Ill-got gains yeah. Yeah. ill got gains. And, um, yeah, like that took a long time. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm still probably trying to clear all that, that head trash stuff out. So I don't know if you have any, uh, anything similar, but yeah, that was, that was one of the things that really, I still have to like remind myself mm-hmm. to, um, to absorb that as much as possible. The idea that like, as you say, abundance is our natural state or that we're mm-hmm. wired for success, that we're wired to get the goals that we set out. That is, um, that may be what we believe naturally, but when you're raised like we were, they beat that out of you pretty well. Yeah, they do. And and the, to that point, lack is still an abundant state because it's an abundance of lack. <laughs> okay. You're going <laughs> to <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta break that one down for me yeah because there's an overflow of lack when you haven't got there's an <laughs> overflow of lack so God never okay. manifests as anything other than abundance even when it's a lack yeah that's a good that's a pretty good mindset uh approach like ad- adopting that yeah it's very right? very good okay Okay. I thought you were going to talk about like seeing the flip side. Like if you don't have money, you have time or yeah, that's that's like, no, it's an overflow of lack. This is an overflow of lack. And the other thing as well is that you've never failed anything. Okay. Like Maxi Maltz is right. Right. You've never failed anything. Oh, right. It's all feedback. The unconscious mind operates at 10,000 to 10 million times the speed of the conscious mind, perfectly executing whatever the image is that it's got. Mm -hmm. It's just that most of us are giving it crappy images to play out. And right. complaining when it perfectly executes failure in your relationships, <laughs> bad health and crap connection, mm-hmm. low, poor money situation. Our power, our gift, our God-given gift is the ability to step in and have a say in what's going into the program. So that what's yes. getting churned out matches that versus something else. Yeah. So we're never failing. We're never, ever failing. We're never losing. You're not procrastinating. Your mind is just moving you towards what an unconscious level you want instead of what a conscious level you've chosen, but it's just doing it faster than you can. You haven't self-sabotaged. You've chosen what you actually desire at the deepest conscious level. Mm. 
Okay, you married that's didn't deep. fail. You succeeded in moving away from something that you weren't aligned with internally, whether right. you consciously desired it or not. You're not broke. You're playing out exactly the same financial situation that you're aligned to internally because the mind does not lose. Because the mind does not lose. All right. That makes sense. Have you read The Systems Mindset by Sam Carpenter? You just about directly quote, you pull like basically like two of the several of the things you just said were almost direct quotes. So you probably really enjoy the book because he talks about how like 99% of the the things that happen in the world are are running just fine. In other words, they're running on programs that are producing the exact outcomes they're supposed to. (laughs) I'd never applied that to the subconscious mind though. That's really interesting. In other words, the results that you have if you don't have the size of the business you want, whatever, your subconscious mind is moving you to whatever is actually more important on a very deep level. So here's the natural question. How do you, if you realize that your subconscious is fighting you and you want the Mm -hmm. the goal that you've consciously set, how do you get that to seep into your subconscious? What's the answer to that? Well, here's the thing. It didn't just magically sharpen your subconscious today. Right. And the clue was found in how I saved my life, how God saved my life, really. Mm -hmm. Okay. My inputs are what created my internal environment that naturally led to the outputs. Every okay. single input that we receive, which we have a conscious say in, because we can choose to turn the TV off. We can choose to yeah. read a different book. We can choose to have a different conversation, to be in a different environment. Every single one of those inputs is either disrupting or supporting the existing program, because that's where the program came from in the first place. It just mm-hmm. happened that 70%, I think the numbers are 70% of our program comes up until the age of seven or eight when there's no filter. So we're just taking it in. Mm -hmm. So my son's 18 months old, right? So right now he's completely unfiltered. Everything he is, me, his mom, his sister, the nanny, the things we're watching on TV, they're all building. His program is being constructed right now. And then we go into our teens and we reinforce that through the community that we form through our friendships and and, and social groups. Mm -hmm. Then as an adult, we reinforce that with where we go with our life. And then we hit midlife crisis and realize that we don't want any of it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. But the same method that built us, can rebuild us. It just requires more effort now because we've got an analytical mind that's trying to filter out those inputs to match the story that we've got already. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to chew on it, but yeah, I think I, I think I know where you're going, and um, yeah, I have to chew. So the inputs create the internal environment, and that internal environment produces the results. Um, so it takes, yeah, it takes more effort to change the inputs. Mm-hmm. It changes the willingness to go through the discomfort period of changing the inputs, right? Mm-hmm. But then once the once the inputs change and you get through that discomfort period, your internal environment starts to change. And then obviously that shows up in outward, uh, outward results. Which creates more evidence, which creates more inputs of the same nature, which is why we right. get a gradual shift and growth over time. That's where you get the compound effect because after a while, the mm-hmm. level of inputs are matching and supporting that shifting program mm-hmm. to the degree that it allows the tipping point that leads to a complete change. Right. But people aren't ready to go through the discomfort long enough Mm-hmm. Or they're so addicted to the emotional experience of the current mm-hmm. situation that they're not ready to break the bond and go and do something new. They say they are, right? But they're lying to themselves. Yeah, and that's that's where that's where I stumbled across the uh, the ACT methodology stuff, mm-hmm. acceptance and commitment, because that that is all about how do you deal with uncomfortable internal experiences. Mm-hmm. How do you create the distance? How do you get off the mind train? How do you stop identifying with your thoughts? How do you treat internal experiences like things like anxiety mm-hmm. as if it was an itch or a pain that you'd like mm-hmm. chronic pain that you just had to deal with and looking at internal experiences like that? Because that's really what people are running from. They're running from uncomfortable internal experiences, thoughts, feelings, and sensations. Um, so that stuff has been really good in helping to go 
and create that sort of just the awareness that there can be a distance and you can start to create that and you can build that distance and make better decisions. That helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So that, that I'm totally with you there. So it's the willingness to go through the t- discomfort. I think act gives you good, um, practical exercises that I'd never found anywhere else before, uh, mm-hmm. to, to get into that space and start to build the skill set of getting away from those, uh, without, without, um, trying to avoid the discomfort, mm-hmm. which is apparently that's the key to everything. Like you can't, you have to embrace the discomfort basically and know that mm-hmm. it's for a, for a higher good. So, so that, that makes sense to me. Okay. Is there anything specific with people from faith backgrounds Mm-hmm. that you have to attack in a different or unique way that you mm-hmm. don't have to deal with, with somebody that has quote unquote garden variety, mm-hmm. you know, self-sabotage or money mindset issues. I mean, you've got to look at, look at religious fundamentals in any faith mm-hmm. and you'll see just how deeply rooted a connection to an idea of that ilk can become and how mm-hmm. it can impact the way that we treat each other. I mean, look mm-hmm. at the way that people of varying faiths, even within, look at what happened with Catholics and, and Protestants uh, in, in England, yeah. what it's done in, the, in Ireland. Look at the Shiite Sunni in the Islamic mm-hmm. religion, Muslims and Christians in the Holy Land for so long, Muslims mm-hmm. and Hindus, like all of these, like there's a, a carnal tribal yeah. bloodlust that almost sits underneath it. And it's one with which we defend the idea of these narratives that we hold. And so what I tend to do is have people just come to an understanding that none of this approach needs to disrupt the relationship that you have with whatever you refer to as God, the divine, Allah, whatever. Mm. And that everything, no matter what faith or religion you come from, there's always going to be the idea that things were created by your creator or the creator as you see it. Mm-hmm. And if all things were created, even these ideas that we're sharing are still sitting within the mind of God and open to exploration. So just taste and see if it's good. Mm. Like try on the mindset, like you try on an outfit, try just, just try it and see how it feels. Yeah. See how it feels. But mm-hmm. remember that it doesn't have to be this thing that challenges your faith. It can be the thing that enhances your faith. Yeah. It can be the thing that this could be the thing that, God, as you see it, has brought into your life for you to actually move to the next level, for mm-hmm. you to move to something new, to experience something different. But just mm-hmm. dropping this combative stance to new inputs and allowing them maybe to be the thing that you're praying for. That's how I gently bring it to someone that's caught up in the in the loop. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and yeah. sorry to cut, but the flip side is some people are so against the idea of, you know, people that run away from their faith, they're so against the idea of the word God that they actually lose the power and potency of all of that faith that they had that Mm. can be leveraged through this to go and get results without being a slave to ideas that maybe they had a challenge with. Yeah, my mentor has talked about that. He's been coaching executive recruiters for 30 years. And he is a former Seventh Day Adventist turned agnostic. Say and and no, like recovering yeah. Seventh Day Adventist here. Are you really? Wow. Okay, yeah, that I did not not know. Yeah. yeah, he came up all the way from birth to um, to yeah. freshman year of college, and um, yeah, it was like a scholar, a rising star in that world. So yeah, like you can go very deep on Judaism and you know multiple faiths and coaches from all that perspective. And uh, yeah, that he's he said effectively the same thing. 
Like if you believe you have a strong belief in God, you have to reconcile that with what your idea of success is. Otherwise there's always going to be that internal conflict. Yeah. Cause it's hard. That stuff hardwires in, mm-hmm. especially when you've got one that's, um, so some from, you know, Adventism, it's, it's against the grain. They go to church on a different day. They follow the Judaistic, uh, the, 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 um, the Levitical rules on, on, on mm-hmm. food. It's, it's against the grain. And so the only way that you can survive in a world that sees it as weird is by cleaving closer. Right. So that hardwires it into the neural pathway. So when you try and fight against that, it creates a cognitive dissonance that holds you in a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. So you have to make that re- reconciliation happen. Otherwise, you're just going to he- keep hitting a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. We could go on for a long time, but I have to uh, have to honor your time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not happy we'll about catch it. Up. I'm um, sure we'll catch up another time, I'm sure. We will. Yeah. Uh, so tell everybody, who, who do you think uh, should reach out to you? How should they reach out, obviously, but really who, who's the right person and, uh, and where are they at? How do they know they're your right person? So there are two kinds of people that tend to get the most out of what I do. People that are finding that financial success they've got, but it's been at the expense of something else. Mm. Or people who have spent time cultivating health, relationships, connection, they've been doing some kind of inner work and they're finding that the money's not coming into the mix. Mm-hmm. These two groups are not experienced a 360 degree life of abundance right they're not having that experience and so mm-hmm. we bring everyone to the middle and we bring everyone to the middle through one central idea abundance isn't one-dimensional it's multifaceted and multi-dimensional and you're entitled to all of it and in mm-hmm. fact the work that you've done creating abundance in one area can pretty quickly be leveraged to create abundance in other areas so people mm-hmm. who are ready to have yeah. abundance in all areas of their life and have got some basis whether it's financial or other we can support them and on that on their journey and um Make them reach out, come into the website, dreamwithdan.com. There's a contact form there. We've got some resources they can play in and see what I'm about. Check out my socials and see if what, you know, what I'm saying resonates with them. Yeah. But certainly come along to the website, dreamwithdan.com. Definitely let, let us know that they came from, from the show. We'd love to hear from them. And that's what we want to say. Perfect. Dreamwithdan.com. All right. I love it. I have many other selfish questions, but I'm going to let you go. And uh, <laughs> I, I very much appreciate, uh, first of all, I just appreciate you being here. But yeah, it's um, those are like you can try those mindsets on for size and you can, mm-hmm. you can see, you can get a sense of just how powerful they are just right off the bat, just kind of mentally playing with them. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's certain things that like I, as a very analytical person, I, that sounds like you might be this way too. We sometimes have trouble with that mentality. Mm-hmm. We have to know if it's right. And does it fit my existing framework of the world before I'm willing to try it on? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love that you've kind of broken through that. I'm trying to break through that as much as I can and just be willing to go, Hey, that at this point, it doesn't matter whether that's objectively true or if my stupid brain can come up with counter ideas of that. What matters is, does it empower me? Does that mindset empower me to make better choices? What's and the result? What's, what's the result? The, what's the result? We can yeah. talk philosophically. We can talk about all the sexiness. None of it matters if it's not getting a result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love it. Well, Dan, thanks so much again for being here. Thanks I really appreciate me. it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for rating and reviewing the show. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other entrepreneurs and experts. Every time you share the show, you're putting life-changing ideas into someone's life. Now to get the micro famous field report that helps you turn your expertise into a lifestyle business without spending all day on social media, go to microfamous.substack.com and enter your email to access it for free. That's where you get all my podcast episodes, articles, sketches, videos, everything goes into the micro famous field report. So go to Substack, sign up for that today. So you get that and stay tuned for the next episode of one book that changed my life. We'll see you there.